This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. The craziness of life that, that doesn't hold nice, packageable seasons, but rushes at us with everything all at once, with the joy and the tragedy and the tears and the joy and the life and the death and the mourning and the dancing, all together. And somehow we, we are trying to create for ourselves a life that is manageable, that we think this is our life should be. And, and God just comes and, and He just does not allow that. He doesn't, who of you wanted God to do things your way? And I found it's okay that you want it, but you're not always going to get it. <laughs> and in and amongst this, we, we need to find, if we don't find the beauty in this, we will, we will drown in the, we will drown in the sorrows. If we, if we don't find even in the sorrow, we find it. And Ecclesiastes 3, it says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. And a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted and a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain, to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to silence, to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And then he says in verse 13, sorry verse 11. He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. God has made everything, everything beautiful. Those contradictions, those paradoxes, those seemingly things that contradict one another and some of them even sound so not God. God says, I'm going to make beautiful, everything beautiful in its time. So if we're struggling with beauty, it might be that our timing's off. It might just be that we don't understand the times. It was one of the gifts of the sons of Issachar, one of the blessings of the sons of Issachar. Not only, and people sometimes just quote the one part, it says the sons of Issachar, they had an understanding of the times. But then it goes on and it says, and they knew what Israel ought to do. So not just an understanding of the time, but how to respond to the time in which we live. So that when, so that it doesn't matter what life throws at us, that we understand that we are in the times of God and that we understand that there is a way that we respond to the times that speaks of the wisdom of God. And that God can work and is busy working all things together for the good, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And, uh, I might have said it before, but I just have it on my heart to share it again this morning. And I'm going to once again upset some of you by reading from the message.
And I'm going to start with round about verse 11, 2 Corinthians 6, round about verse 11. The message doesn't have the verses. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. He says, dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel come from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. And I want to come and encourage you this morning, every one of us, that even if you are living expansively, I want to encourage you this morning, live more expansively. Do not allow your own thoughts and your own limitations and your own limited understanding of where you are in your life or how you perceive yourself to be as a person. Do not allow that to fence you in and keep you from this wide open space that God is calling you into. It's just beautiful what that lady shared when Paul says, Paul doesn't shy away. Paul doesn't live in this hyper-triumphalism. You know, everything's fine and God is good all the time. You know, sometimes you ask people, how are you? And they say, and they tell you God is good. I said, yes, I know God is good. How are you? Did you not understand me? I'm asking you, how are you? But we, sometimes we don't want to, we don't want to say, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit under, uh, you know, I'm a bit, I'm a bit pressed down at the moment. And they're afraid to state the fact because they're afraid it's going to be like a negative faith statement. But it's important also that you don't, that you don't stay there that Paul says we are pressed down but we are, we are driven to despair but we are not destroyed. We are struck down but we are never counted out. And even in, in times where we feel that this life is perplexing, we don't understand what's going on. Who of you have had times that you don't understand exactly what's going on. Any any of those that's in it right now. <laughs> Life perplexes us. But that's fine because God's above our perplexities. That even if we give our perplexities to God, that He is able to bring us to to take the smallness of our lives and He is able to expand it into greatness that He wants to us to live in. And he says, dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. Now let's go and look at the first couple of verses, what he meant when he said that. He's speaking to his companions. He says, companions, as we are in this work with you. In very important Paul's language here, he calls his fellow workers, he calls the church in Corinth, he calls them companions. He doesn't call them congregants. He doesn't call them members. He says, you are companions. You are in this work with us. Turn to the person next to you. If you're, if you're part of this congregation, tell that person, we're in this work together. Who of you grew up in a, in a house where one of the siblings were work resistant? You know, they, they, after, after dinner, they all of a sudden had to go to the bathroom. And they stay. Or they quickly gotta go and do something when everybody is working. Who of you were that sibling? <laughs> we'll pray for you later. Let everybody just forgive them. 
on behalf of all work-resistant siblings, we forgive you. (laughs) In this work with us, we beg you, please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life. I want to encourage you that in every season, in, it doesn't matter in what life stage you are. God, God doesn't put you on hold. God doesn't put you on the back burner for a couple of years until your kids have grown up. Believe me, my kids are grown up. We got rid of them. They were out of the house. Now they're all back. And two of them are work resistant, but very lovable. But I want to encourage us all this morning that there is a marvelous life that God has for you. And that's God not just for you, but that God has deposited in you. And it's called Christ. He has imparted it to you. He has imputed it to you. And he has called you to a marvelous life. And the enemy and your circumstances and the busyness of life and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches according to the parable of the sower will do everything To choke that life out of you. But that doesn't change the fact that God has called you to more. God has called you to a marvelous life. Now let's go and look what Paul calls calls a marvelous life. He says, please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life that God has given us. Listen to the language. Not the marvelous life that God has given me. The marvelous life that God has given us. God speaks. God is a God of community. One, it, it was in the intercession. Oh, beautiful weave. One of the ladies prayed about the beauty of community. I, I just love it. You just got a God's everywhere. God reminds us that I heard your call in the nick of time. The day you needed me, I was there to help. And then Paul says, well, now is the time to listen. The day to be helped. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work by showing up late. I was just saying to to Christy here, if people don't believe in miracles, just become a church leader every morning between 9 o'clock and 9.20. There is a multiplication of people. At 9 o'clock in most churches, there are almost no people. 20 past 9, the place is packed. There is a multiplication. (laughs) So this sermon is not based on that though. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God by showing up late, throwing a question mark over everything we're doing. Our work as God's servant gets validated or not in the details. People are watching us as we stay at our post. This is the wide open life that is, the spacious life that he's describing now. People are watching us as we stay on our post, alertly, unswervingly, in hard times, tough times, bad times, when we're beaten up. Anybody encouraged yet? Anybody says, give me that wide, give me that life, God. Anybody? It gets better, you can put up your hands later. But this, I want to encourage us, this is part of the wide open spacious life that God has called us to. Because if we respond to this kind of life, the thing that life throws at us, if we, if we respond to that in the right way by the grace of Christ, then we start tapping into the very life that Christ has bought for us. 
No amens, but that's true. There was one yes, but I'll take that as he was talking for everybody. In hard times, tough times, bad times, when we're beaten up, jailed and mobbed, working hard, working late, working without eating, with a pure heart, a clear head, steady hand, in gentleness, holiness, honest love. I'm expecting the amens to come now. When we're telling the truth and when God's showing His power, amen. When we're doing our best setting things right, when we praised, yes. And when we blamed, oh no, slandered and honored, true to our word, though distrusted, ignored by the world but recognized by God, terrifically alive, though rumored to be dead, beaten within an inch of our lives, but refusing to die, immersed in tears, yet always filled with deep joy, living on handouts, yet enriching many, having nothing, having it all. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. I want to encourage, my encouragement to you this morning is if we start telling our stories, we would most probably be able to fit ourselves somewhere in there. Somewhere in there our lives would be right now. And one's not a life in God and a life, one's not a life outside of God. It's all in God. This is the wide open spacious life that God has called us to. So that his name can be glorified. So then, when we are slandered, and we don't slander back, we can show the love of Christ. When we are rumored to be dead, we trust the resurrection power of God to raise us up. I want to encourage you. I don't know where you are in here, but it doesn't matter where you are in here. It is there is, this is a wide open spacious life that God has for you. And God has for us. God has for His family. And in Christ, in Christ, and only by our in Christness are we corporate. We are not just corporate because we have signed some membership document. We are corporate because we are in Christ. Our unity is a predetermined unity in Christ. And when we come, when we are born again and we are baptized into Christ, we are baptized into a unity with brothers and sisters. Therefore, you cannot be, you cannot be saved and not part of the body or a church. You are having an outer body experience. Get back in. Because there is a wide open spacious life for us. Who of you have, have who of you have felt that if you, if you suffer alone, it's bad, but if you are suffering in a group, it's not so bad? I think God designed it. In, in fact, there is something that happens in a group of people that, that go through hardship. The anthropologists call it liminality. It's if, if a group of people, five, do I have five days to preach? Thank you. And we still have to have communion. What was I saying? These boards always disturb. Liminality. If there's a group of... Liminality. Is there Afrikaans word for liminality? Liminality. 
We still haven't found a word for encounter though. Anybody with a good word, a catchy word, ontmoeting. I learned an Afrikaans word in the Afrikaans service a couple of weeks ago. Be honest, God is watching you. Who of you know what is the meaning of Reik Halsant? Reik Halsant. It's not a rash. It's not a snake. It is eager. The yellow skipping. Wach met is een reikhalsende afwachting. Ja, ontmoeting. Encounter. Liminality is when a group of people, they got it from a Kenyan tribe, I think it is an African tribe, where a group of young men as a rite of passage into adulthood would be separated from their tribe and they have to go and kill a lion or something or do some, some task that, involves a lot of suffering and when they come back there is something that that suffering produces that that group is so tightly shaped together that they actually feel that they do not really fit in with the rest of society anymore and there is what anthropologists then call this thing called liminality and i and i believe when when we truly live the gospel and we truly live this community and we realize that Jesus was actually not lying when he said, in this world you will have tribulation. He was actually speaking the truth. The apostles actually went around to the churches encouraging the believers with these words, it's through many persecution or hardship that you will enter into the kingdom. And they saw that as encouragement. Most of us would not be encouraged by this word because we have... have, Some of us have embraced or certainly want a gospel that speaks to our safety, our security, our convenience, and our comfort. Much of the consumeristic gospel that is preached sometimes is is all about my safety, it's all about my security, it's all about my convenience, all about my comfort, and it's everything that Jesus hasn't called us to. But Jesus has called us to a wide open, spacious life that when we go through the whole shebang of life, the glory of God and the grace of God is there to sustain us through the good times and the bad times because I want to tell you this morning that success will test you in ways that failure never will. You need the grace of God just as much, and I sometimes think even more, you need the grace of God when you're succeeding. You need the grace of God when you're prospering financially. You need the grace of God when all of a sudden everything you touch turned to gold. I believe that you need the grace of God because what usually happens if we fail, we are usually humbled and sometimes humiliated by our failures. But when we succeed, we often stand up in pride. And God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So I want to encourage us. I've, I've heard talk about people saying, you know, uh, the evening service is, is, is more lively and, 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 uh, and the morning service is, is more for the families and, and is therefore not as lively. I, I, want to, I want to throw down a challenge. I want to throw down a challenge to you that you would not be defined into a morning and an evening congregation by just people of God. 
and that you would be called into a wide open spacious life. You are just as much called into a wide open spacious life as some gung-ho student that thinks that they can save all of the world tomorrow. You're just as much called. You are just as much invited into this in this wise, open, spacious life. There is nothing that fences you in. Do not allow things to fence you in. Do not allow school programs to fence you in. Do not allow stuff to fence you in. Do not let the, the pressure of peers and the pressures of this town and the pressures of society fence you in and think that you, you, you once were radical for God, but now... You're just. I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to plead like Paul pleaded. Come. Come. I beg you. Come in to this wide open spacious life that there is for you in Christ Jesus. Come in. Come in. When we come to the table this morning, when we, when we share communion, let us examine ourselves and, 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 and please hear me this. I'm, I'm not saying that I want suffering. I'm not saying that at all. But I do realize living life will bring it. Yesterday at that memorial service, I realized that someday I'm going to stand at the grave of someone that I, that one of my family members, I, I trust that they'll rather stand at my grave because I don't know that I will be able to handle it. But, Suffering will come, and suffering most probably have come. My wife lost her mom and dad within 10 days of one another from the same cancer. But I want to tell you that we, we just refused. We, we mourned when we needed to mourn, but we threw ourselves at Christ. We threw ourselves at the mercy and the grace of Christ, and we, we ran. We crawled, but we made our way to the throne of grace where we found the grace and we obtained where we found the mercy and we obtained the grace to go through it. And when it was funny, my wife, she was, she asked me, what, what are you listening to? I was watching a YouTube clip and it was about, a, um, about three kids. They wrote a song for their mom that died of cancer. And, uh, so Wendy asked me, what are you, what are you listening to? And I'm saying, uh, well, I'm listening to this kind of, it's a sort of a sad song, but it's kind of great too about the three kids that have written a song to their mom who died of cancer. And uh, for a moment she said, wow, it must be really bad to lose your mom through cancer. And then she said, oh my goodness, I lost my mom through cancer. <laughs> and then she said, isn't it amazing how God healed me? Isn't it amazing that I still miss her, but it doesn't hurt anymore. I can feel the healing that I can actually talk about it without breaking down. Yesterday was a, dif- a difficult day when we were in that place. I mean, I, I thought some of the people thought she knew Herbrand very well, but I knew she was crying because she remembered the feeling when we buried her mom. But I want to encourage us. Please don't try to construct for yourself a life that will make you safe, make you feel secure, make it all convenient. And make it all comfortable. If you're living in a comfortable world, you don't nearly really need the Holy Spirit who is the comforter. Why would you need a comforter in a comfortable world? 
God calls us to things impossible. Amen? God doesn't call us to things possible. We wouldn't need grace if he calls us to things possible. God calls us to things impossible. He calls us to forgive those. He calls us to bless those who curse us. He calls us, he calls us to pray for those who spitefully use us. He calls us to forgive people 70 times 7 a day. He calls us to love our enemies. He calls us to things impossible. He calls us to the nations. He calls us to our neighbors. He calls us to spread this beautiful gospel that most of us feel ill-equipped to do. He calls you to do that. And he calls you into a wide open, spacious life that doesn't promise you moonshine and roses. Well, moonshine. I'm meaning this moon shining. Okay. Doesn't promise you. <laughs> doesn't you promise just a life that everything goes well, but a life that is beautiful in God. It doesn't matter what happens. I want to encourage you this morning. He invites everybody. He invites us. He's not this morning saying, oh, there looks like a stunning couple. They look retired. They have a lot of time. They can come into this full-time life. And no, he's calling all of us. He's calling all of us. And I want, as we come to the table, as we consider what Jesus has done, we don't consider what our society says. We don't consider what our neighbors does. As we run this race with patient endurance that God has set before us, as we run this race, we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. Therefore, people say, but you must count the cost. People ask me, Jan, how can you say that you'll go anywhere that you'll make any sacrifice. How can you know if you don't know if you can if you haven't counted the cost? I said I have counted the cost. It's Jesus at Calvary. That's the cost. The price was paid. So whatever he calls me to, I don't have to worry if I can do it. If I have to start figuring out if I can do it, I can't. I can't I can't meet the cost. But Jesus did. Jesus did. So whatever he calls me into, and I'm in him, he's already paid the price. He's already met the cost. So he will never call me into something that he hasn't paid for me already. Because if I have to count the cost, what might happen, I would never go anywhere. So my encouragement to you this morning, as we come to the table, let us consider Jesus. Let us consider the the life that he has called us into. Let us consider that his body was broken for us so that we might be whole. Let us consider that his blood was spilled for us and maybe we can get the ushers. I don't know where the elements are. Are they, are they available? Maybe you can start handing them out just to, to save us a little bit of time. That we would truly examine ourselves in the light of Jesus. Not in the light of our brother or the light of our sister. Not in the light, in the light of our neighbor or my colleague, but in the light of, of who Christ is that we would come to the table. His body was broken so I can be whole. His blood was spilled for the remission of sin. Sin meaning miss the mark. The mission of sin was that we would miss the mark. 
remissioning of sin is that sin is remissioned there so that we would hit the mark what God has attained for us and that he wants us to attain. That is what Christ wants. He calls us into this. And I want to ask us this morning. I don't want to ask you. I want to ask us because that's the language of the apostle here. I want to ask us as we corporately come to the table. We come individually, yes, but we also come corporately. That we would examine ourselves and we would examine us and say, God, are we living a wide open spacious life? Or have we carved out for ourselves a comfortable little niche of familiarity I know how this works. I know the input and I know the output. Or are we ready for an adventure in God? An adventure in God. What moves us in movies is people that overcome great obstacles. Some of us even weep in the movies when I... I love sport. When I see sportmen win against great odds, I, I weep. Olympic Games is like crying time for me. I had a good one at the funeral. I'm going to use it. The one guy, he, had, he did a bit of a eulogy and he said, he was started weeping. He says, don't worry about my weeping. I weep when a new checkers opens as well. So, I don't really weep about checkers, but great achievements move me. And overcoming great obstacle moves us. Nobody made movies about and wrote autobiographies about Joe's average that got up, had two and a half kids, one and a half Jack Russells, had a steady job, nice pension, lived a very ordinary life. Nobody writes books about those. Well, maybe they write them, they just don't sell. I believe that God has called us to a life of risk. Amen. God has called us to an extraordinary life. Now maybe you would say, well, I'm not extraordinary. I'm quite ordinary. Well, here's the good news. God has the X factor. With God, you are ordinary. Without God, you are ordinary. With God, you are extraordinary. God is extra. God is super. God is supernatural. God is above natural. God is spirit. Therefore, with God, your ordinary self becomes super ordinary. <laughs> above ordinary. God has called us to that life. I want to ask you, I want to plead with you this morning. Do not allow religiosity or your own view of life or your own human philosophy keep you from this wide open spacious life that Christ has bought for you with his blood. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.